Hello and welcome to today's VJ Hemonk podcast. We are a global open access video journal bringing you the latest in hematological oncology. In today's podcast, you will hear from leading experts who share some insights into recent updates and challenges with approaching patients with pre-MDS states. Topics covered include novel tools being used to improve prognosis, ongoing challenges in this space, and more. First, Moshe Mittelman discusses novel strategies being used to identify patients with these conditions, the importance of early intervention, and recent advances in genetic techniques. We are now aware more and more about what we call the pre-MDS states. Uh, usually, still today, we are starting treating patients when they are diagnosed as having MDS. But as you can imagine, and it doesn't have to be only issue in MDS or in hematology, uh, sometimes uh, when you diagnose a disease, it might be too late because sometimes it might be the case that some damage has been caused and the damage not necessarily is reversible. Sometimes it is irreversible. So the idea in medicine in general, and obviously in hematology, and now also in MDS, is to try to detect the patients at risk. And we are familiar now for several years with several states which are termed in the general term pre-MDS conditions. These are called CCUS, ICS, ICUS, and so on. And these are the situations in which some of the patients, not all of them, might develop in the future MDS. Now, obviously, we are only in the beginning of this era. Uh, most of these situations are recognized by genetics, but we are starting to have some ways to inter interfere in that to, and to have some intervention, probably to at least to diagnose or to identify those who are, at, who are at high risk and maybe to treat them in order to prevent the progression of the disease and obviously at the end to prevent the transformation to acute leukemia. So this is just in the beginning of that era, but we are there already. The beginning, but they are there. So this is one direction. The other direction is really the more modern tools that we are using. And obviously, uh, I would like to mention two major modern tools that we are using, and we did not use them in the past, although it's not really new for 2023. And I mean, number one, to the genetics. Obviously, we have been with genetics now for more than two or three decades, but the techniques are becoming more and more accurate and more and more modern and helpful and useful and practical. Uh, we are having now a new classification, which is called IPSSM, which allows us to uh, do uh, NGS or to do molecular studies to patients at diagnosis and to better classify the patients. This classification has shown that by applying it, you may change the stage of the patient in about half of the patients, 46%. What does it mean? It means that now we can better predict the prognosis, the, what will happen to the patients, and maybe to adjust better and to apply a more appropriate treatment to this patient. So one way of becoming more modern and more advanced is really applying modern, new genetic techniques almost on routine basis. In many countries, it's already routine, and it's on the way. Still, not the whole world is doing genetics, but it's becoming more and more popular and more and more used. The other tool is what I mentioned earlier, is the AI. 
today with the power of the new computer technology, artificial intelligence, and other digital tools, we can do things that we cannot, we could not dream in the past, including collecting lots of data, clustering the patients, identifying and, and having a prediction of the future. This is, again, just in the beginning, but we are there. And I'm sure that in the next few years, we will see more and more such studies, which will definitely lead to better identification, better prediction, and hopefully better treatments with better results. Next, Klaus Metzler discusses the major challenges with distinguishing between various pre-MDS states and MDS and how to improve diagnosis. What is the borderline or gray zone between clonal hematopoiesis, clonal hematopoiesis with cytopenia, which would be CCAS, and early MDS? And actually it's more a gray zone than a borderline because really the diagnostic criterium at the moment is presence of significant dysplasia on morphological examination. If you have that, plus cytopenias, then you have MDS. If you just have cytopenias and the gene mutation, but no significant um, dysplasia, you have clonal cytopenia of uncertain significance. And we all know, those of us who do um, um, cytomorphology especially, that um, defining dysplasia on morphologic um, um, examination is, can sometimes be tricky and it's certainly observer dependent. So if you have the same patient observed or, or evaluated at different institutions, I'm pretty sure you're sometimes going to get discrepant results and one expert is going to classify them as pre-MDS CCAS and another expert is going to say, oh, this is low-risk MDS. Um, how can we potentially solve this? Well, one approach could be to integrate additional criteria, such as, for example, flow cytometric um, measures of dysplasia, or even, again, AI-based approaches, automated image processing, which may give us a more objective assessment of morphologic dysplasia. On the other hand, we're already seeing studies that treat patients with clonal cytopenia with therapies that are similar to those that we could also use in low-risk MDS. So maybe in the end we're actually going to treat these conditions as a continuum and we're rather going to focus our, um, our treatment or care strategy on the manifestation, which is the cytopenia and the genetics, and put the distinction of CCAS versus MDS rather in the background and say, well, if a patient has clonal cytopenia and they're symptomatic and they respond to the same treatment that a low-risk MDS tr uh, patient would respond to, maybe the distinction is not all that relevant anymore. Quite similar to what we're seeing at the other end of the MDS spectrum between MDS and AML, where the ICC classification actually um, introduced that new category of MDS-AML to address a very similar borderline zone where often it's difficult to assign patients to one or the other. Lastly, Dr. Metzler shares some insights into novel therapeutic approaches being explored for these individuals. 
that's a very exciting um, um, topic at the moment because we're seeing the first trials that specifically try to treat patients with clonal hematopoiesis or clonal cytopenias. And I guess you can largely um, um, split these treatment approaches into two large um, fields, if you wish. One are genotype-specific approaches where we try to use um, um, targeted substances, inhibitors that are specific to certain genetic lesions. The advantage, of course, is that we would expect um, these strategies to directly target the pathogenic clone. On the other hand, um, since many of these mutations are relatively rare, they are only ap those approaches are only applicable to, applic applicable, sorry, to a small um, subgroup of patients um, for each treatment. The other big group of approaches is um, therapies that target the microenvironment, that target downstream consequences of clonal hematopoiesis. For example, the pro-inflammatory um, state that is associated with many of the chip mutations. An example would be canakinumab, an anti-interleukin-1-beta um, antibody, which tries to target the chip-associated inflammation and thereby it may help to avoid downstream consequences of CHIP, but it may also um, affect the fitness of the CHIP clone itself and thereby also affect the clonal disease um, in itself. Um, it's very exciting to see um, these different approaches and these different studies on the way, and I'm very curious to see um, which of these approaches will be ultimately successful in the clinic. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VJHemonk and subscribe to VJHemonk Podcasts on Spotify, Apple and Podbean. Until next time.